Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our guest is Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex, special welcome back to 2020. Great to be with you as always, Neil. Alex, a good topic to start talking about today, how government and politics impacts our money. You know, a federal election probably early next year. Uh, New mm. South Wales has a new Premier, Dominic Perrottet. People are thinking politics right now. People might be thinking about money, but... I guess a good way to start, talking about the way politics treats money because different arms, different ideologies uh, think differently about money. What are your thoughts on different economic theories? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a few common ones across the globe and some some keep coming back into favour. I mean, the most common ones we hear about are obviously capitalism, which is the media paints the West as being capitalist. I would argue that it's not that capitalist anymore. In fact, I would say that we almost have crony capitalism in the West, um, you know, with big lobby groups and so forth, more notably in the US than here. Of course, you have socialism, which is the one that keeps bouncing back, um, despite the fact that it's it's always failed, but it keeps bouncing back. Um, and socialism, just, just for listeners, is really the idea that the government has a lot more control over the economy and over the means of production. And then the more extreme version of that is communism, where not only do they control it, but they also own it. Whereas capitalism is seen as really the polar opposite, which is really that you have a very free market type system uh, where people get to make their own decisions about what they buy and sell and you know who they trade with and so forth. Um, of course, no system really globally is one or the other. I mean, you could say North Korea is an extreme in, the, in terms of communism, uh, and some people would argue that America is extreme in capitalism, although I'd say it's a long way from that these days. Um, but no real economy is, is, is one or the other. It's usually a mix of, of each. Um, but I guess the, the Christian element to this is how should Christians look at it and should Christians be in favour of one over the other? Um, I certainly think there are ones we should highly critique of, obviously, like communism and socialism and so forth. Um, but really, the reality is that all of these are tainted by human sin and none of them work perfectly. These isms, as we call them, you know, capitalism, socialism, all these things are really man-made. And I think as Christians, we should be deeply concerned and aiming for policies from our governments that uh, enable human flourishing. So in other words, when a government announces something, we should ask ourselves, is this going to promote human flourishing? Is this going to help our fellow man? I think that's the prism that we should look at these things through, rather than buying too much into the strongly pushed ideological positions in the media. Okay, how do we bring a practical element to this? Uh, for listeners today who are thinking about their money, uh, whatever's the balance in their bank, uh, what money they're bringing in from their job each week, how do we bring this into a understanding of where these things politically affect us uh, on the bottom line? Yeah, well, look, they can affect us in multiple ways. And probably the biggest one is the government controls what I call the price of money, if you like. And that's really the central bank. So they would argue that they're independent of government. That's sort of, you know, a debate in and of itself. But 
essentially, the, you know, the central bank is a government body and they control the cost of money. And that has a big effect on each and every one of us because if you think about um, a retiree, retirees got their, their savings in the bank and, of course, the cash rate in Australia is now 0.1 of a percent. So that government policy of having a cash rate that low really affects retirees. Um, and unfortunately, what it's doing to retirees in Australia is it's forcing them to take on more risk than they otherwise would to get income. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you have you know young people wanting to get into the housing market. House prices in Australia are very high, and really the trend over the last 30 years is that interest rates have been falling. Some of the listeners may recall having a home loan back in 1990 when rates were 18%. Of course, today uh, you can get a home loan for sub 2%, hard to believe. But what that means is young people are really forced to take on significant debts if they want to get into the housing market, pretty much almost anywhere in Australia. Um, and therefore, they're vulnerable to higher interest rates. So this is where, if you like, the government has a big effect on our lives. Um, and what I think the real trend over the last 20 years has has been in in the West I would say we were a lot more free market, you know, 50 years ago. Today, I would describe the West as much more as an interventionist system in the sense that most politicians, they don't want a recession on their watch. They don't want problems on their watch. And so they're willing to do anything, if you like, to intervene in um, intervene in the markets. In fact, um, some might remember a famous quote from a guy called Mario Draghi. He's now the... Um, Prime Minister of Italy, but previously he was the president of the European Central Bank. And he famously said, um, we will do whatever it takes to get the economy going again. And I think that is now very much built into Western world thinking about the economy. And you see this obviously with um, coronavirus over the last 18 months, where governments have spent uh, or certainly here in Australia, unbelievable amounts in terms of stimulus and debt levels. They will do, if you like, whatever it takes to, to fix something up. Now, the problem with that is it's often very short-term orientated. So the question for listeners, I think, is, well, what are the long-term implications of what governments are doing to us? <laughs> and that's a, that's a really big issue because, you know, the Australian government is now over a trillion dollars in debt when you allow for federal and state government debts. And of course, over the next 50 years, we've got to pay that all back. And that probably means higher taxes in the future. So that's something that I suspect will occur in the future. Um, and of course, if interest rates rise, then that will impact Australia's government budgets as well as our household budgets as well. So you can see the government has an enormous impact on our finances. And so my message to Christians listening to this is, well, you need to align your finances with God's word because we can't control what the government's going to do. Obviously, we can vote people in and out, um, but that obviously has challenges in and of itself. But the reality is we need to align our finances with God's word so that if some of these government policies turn out to be poor, and I think unfortunately many of them probably will, then we need to make sure um that our own finances are protected to the extent that we can um, using God's principles in the way we handle money, particularly around issues like debt, for example. So some challenges. 
Alex, let's come back to housing affordability for a moment because with a federal election looming, no doubt there'll be all sorts of tinkering around the edges for what will happen with housing affordability. Often it's a vote winner if you're looking for one particular section of the community. Other times it's a vote loser, depending on how you position yourself here. So housing affordability, you suggest perhaps the government keeps making things worse uh, correct. I, I would argue that we are where we are today. Australia has almost the most expensive house prices in the world. There's a couple of people similar like Canada and Hong Kong has very expensive house prices, but Australia is pretty much right up the top in terms of overpriced housing. And really, it's been driven by a couple of factors. One, of course, and I think the biggest factor is just the debt levels, the ease with which it is to borrow money. um, And the cost of that money, as I say, is extremely cheap these days. Uh, Development costs in Australia are very high. And there's issues around releasing of land and so forth. But of course, immigration, Australia is very much an immigrant country. And our big cities, of course, um, attract a lot of those immigrations. So that puts a sort of a floor under house prices at the very least. But the other thing government does is they have all these incentives. So the first homeowners buyers grant, um, and it varies a bit by state, but that has something that is sort of dangled as a as something for the benefit of young people. But in, re- re- in actual reality, it does the exact opposite. It actually benefits the seller, be- benefits the person who's the vendor selling their house because what it means is the young person now has a little bit extra borrowing capacity than they had before, so it actually drives prices higher. And, of course, the other one that's been in Australia now for quite a long time is negative gearing, which is essentially uh, where you can borrow money and you can claim a tax deduction on any losses from that investment property. Um, that's a very common strategy. And of course, if we think back to the last election where Morrison got elected, uh, the Labor Party went into that election on the basis that they were going to remove negative gearing. And I, I would say that was a contributing factor, not certain, certainly not the only one, but a contributing factor to them losing the election. Housing is in Australia is seen as kind of like a sacred cow. <laughs> Everyone who's got one wants to see their house continue to arise, to rise, and it's sort of seen as a, you know, a form of wealth creation. I would argue it's almost the national idol. <laughs> um, but the the reality is, I think what actually needs to happen is the government needs to stop fiddling with it. Uh, and allow the free market to take care of itself and allow prices to naturally um, settle between buyers and sellers rather than the manipulation of all these policies that sit around it, which uh, uh, cost the nation a great deal over the long term. Um, And probably my biggest concern is what it does is it sucks money away from productive you know, productive activities such as starting a new business because so many people want to get into the housing market, they borrow huge amounts of money, and as a result, we don't see as much small business formation as we otherwise would have. Um, so it's a big challenge, um, but uh, it's, as you say, it's very driven by a political framework. So what is right doesn't always make good policy to win elections, and so you've got governments positioning themselves to win votes Uh, rather than, as you say, uh, stopping this fiddling around uh, the edges and uh, 
ending grants and uh, getting rid of negative gearing and letting the free market uh, balance itself. Uh, politics Spot on. Uh, politics has a, a big issue there too. If you've got this sort of controlling attitude or the idea of a big government that wants to, uh, you know, control every element of your life, uh, what are your thoughts here on on big government? <laughs> well, I think the the trend in the in the Western world over the last thirty plus years has been towards bigger government. Uh, it's growing as a percentage of our G- GDP. Um, we see, and I see this as a financial planner because I talk to clients in different industries, and really, most industries are just getting more and more regulated, more and more red tape. In fact, there was an interesting uh, survey a couple of years ago from the Institute of Public Affairs, which is a, a think tank, and they estimated um, that there's something like an eighteen thousand dollars per annum compliance obligation per adult in Australia. Um, so compliance now is the number one industry in Australia. It's a, it was a staggering, staggering figure. And so the problem with these things is that money to fund all the government has to come from somewhere, and it has to come from those that are paying taxes. So the bigger government grows, the more it uh, consumes from other areas and from the productive area of society. Um so I think it's long-term, it's a big problem. I would argue that we need smaller government. And probably the question I think people need to answer in their minds that um, is what is the purpose of government? What is it really here to do? I would argue that it has a couple of key roles. One, of course, is defence, um, providing us with a police force and so forth. And arguably the most important one of all is maintaining the rule of law, particularly contract law, and that is the interactions between individuals and making sure they're honoured through proper rule of law. That's the role of government. But what we now have is a society that is increasingly micromanaged by government. And I think that will uh, ultimately reduce our prosperity in the longer term. And I think if you want to add a, I guess, a spiritual aspect to this is the further Australia gets away from God, and that's obviously been the trend for a long time now, the further we get away from God, the more the government becomes God and tells us what to do. And I think that, uh, as I say, will have a significant impact on the long-term prosperity of Australia. Um, So it's a big issue. How do we think biblically about uh, politics and government in your view here, Alex. Uh, Politics, government and our money, and uh, we might say uh, the national purse there, taxpayer money as well. How do we think biblically here? Yeah, look, a couple of things here. So, uh, you know, it's it's often said, you know, we hear this in church, is it's so important to pray for government. And I think the coronavirus over the last 18 months has really uh, reminded me of that when I look at the absolute monumental intervention that government has had, you know, stopping businesses from opening and all sorts of things. We need to pray for government and we need to pray for, you know, uh, righteous policies, policies that enable human flourishing. For example, in Proverbs, there's a fantastic uh, passage. So it's Proverbs 29, verse 2. It says, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. And that's why it's so important to um, to pray for our leaders and pray that they will have policies that enable human flourishing. Um, so that's the first thing, that need to pray 
for government is absolutely critical. And I think we should have all been reminded that over, over the last 18 months. Of course, the other thing is we need to be obedient to government authorities. And this can be a struggle, I think, psychologically for some of us. But, you know, Romans 13 talks all about this uh, and the need to obey government authorities. So we want to pray for good government and that come up with good policies that are very easy to obey. Um, but the, the, the issue ultimately biblically is that government policies lead to lead to consequences. Now, whether that's short-term or long-term. So the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, has that fa- fantastic concept of sowing and reaping. And so when you sow particular policies, you will reap particular outcomes. And I think my concern is we've uh, sowed very low interest rates and the what we're going to reap out of that is high debt levels, which we have, and therefore potentially a serious downturn at some point in the future. So these government policies are sowing, if you like, and there will be outcomes and consequences at some stage in the future. Um, so very, yeah, very important and very important that we pray and get get politically involved. Now, I'm not saying people necessarily go and join a politically party, but we should be writing to our politicians regularly, uh, requesting you know, policies that enable um, the well-being of our citizens. On the spot here, Alex, a bit of an outlook over the next 12 months. And of course, we'll have another federal election within 12 months, probably early next year. It could still be later this year, but probably early next year. What are your thoughts for what's likely to happen uh, financially? I mean, it's obviously such a big question. I'm asking you for a short answer. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, the next 12 months, uh, you, you know, it's a lot of people making plans and uh, strategies about their own finances now as we come towards the end of another calendar year what are your thoughts for what's coming look this is the million dollar question there's a great passage in ecclesiastes says nobody knows the future so (laughs) (laughs) i say that with a with a disclaimer um look i think obviously at the moment there's a bit of bit more optimism as people realize obviously vaccination rates have gone up and there's a sense that we're going to open up as an economy and we're going to be more free so i think that there's a cause for optimism there and that's obviously going to lead to people spending more and going on holiday and so forth so that's likely to give the economy a bit of a short-term bump um However, what I would say to people is there are potential black swan events out there. Um, One we spoke about a few weeks ago on this program was uh, what's going on in China at the moment with Evergrande, the big property developer. There's also obviously a bit of saber rattling going on geopolitically with Taiwan. Um, So there's potential for what we call black swan events. Um, No one knows how they'll play out. But I also think what we don't really know yet is the impact of all the lockdowns over the last you know three to six months and how many businesses are going to go under as a result of that and unemployment so i would say to people um to be cautious uh, to build up good cash reserves just in case your job is vulnerable uh, align your finances with god's word minimize your debt i mean at the moment debt is very cheap so there's a real attraction to, to buying into um, into to assets because you can borrow money cheaply. I'd be very, very cautious about doing that at this time of the cycle um, because I do think some challenges are ahead. Um, but yeah, in terms of stock markets, they look very, very expensive uh, and therefore subject to uh, potential falls just because they're starting at such high prices. Uh, and so they could be knocked over very easily from bad news from offshore. But that will obviously cause lots of opportunity as well. So it's important to be, I always say to people to, to succeed financially, you always want to be cautiously optimistic. It's probably the way to, the way to think about it. Yeah. 
Great stuff, Alex Cook, and uh, we'll draw a line there. But thanks so much for great insights today. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, and you can connect with Alex, wealthwithpurpose.com. Uh, lots of great resources there, free resources to help you get your finances on track and uh, with a biblical view to getting that happening. You can also follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. There is an Ask Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com email too. Alex, great uh, getting your uh, update once again today. And uh, thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Pleasure. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.